Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. J.J. Cooper. Bear. Josh North. It's the J.J. and the Bear podcast. We know we've been away a little while. We're sorry. Um, but, but we are back. We uh, were doing a little J.J. and the Bear road trip yesterday, so felt like it was very fitting that we uh, fire up the podcast machine today to talk a little bit about what we've seen. We just finished the best tools issue not long ago. We did, it doesn't, it feels like a long time ago. It wasn't even that long ago that we finished the midseason prospect update, which is available. Just a reminder, if you go to baseballamerica.com, you can uh, click and get, you can purchase the, uh, it for pretty much any device you have. You got the Apple newsstand, you can do it that way. You can do it with Zinio. But uh, if you want mid-season rankings, that's the way to do it. Um, but we, last night, we we, uh, we went we did a doubleheader actually yesterday, not just last night. We left early in the morning and got home, got back late at night. But we saw Greensboro Lakewood, we saw uh, Winston Salem versus Lynchburg, and we saw a lot. But there's no way to say that you know the. the I would say it's fair to say that the uh, the main attraction was is we saw Carlos Rodon the. You know, number three pick in, in this year's draft, pitching for Winston Salem last night, and you've now seen him twice in the last two and a half weeks. Yeah, I think seven and seven times, times this year total, something like that. Okay, uh, you know, I'll I'll do it in a bizarre way, which is is on those seven appearances, where was this Carlos Rodon? Probably number two. Um, number one being the 15 strikeout tour de force against Georgia Tech at uh, NC State where he was untouchable uh, for 120-some-odd pitches, complete game win over uh, Georgia Tech. And then last night he was really good. He was 93-97, missed his spots a couple times. The slider was really good at times and just very good at others. And the changeup, he showed he was willing to throw it in any count, including the last strikeout where he threw three straight ones, three consecutive changeups that the guy swung and missed on all three of them. Yeah, and I, I, I do think with that, the changeup still, it, it, you're right. He used it at all counts. He still doesn't use it very often. No, it was like I think maybe ten total that night, and that might be overshooting it. You know, but with that, it wasn't a terrible pitch when he used it. No, it was a good pitch when he used it. So I understand if you're going out there for uh, essentially he recorded eleven outs, and you have that fastball, that slider, you're not going to use it that much. Um, but it, it isn't like this. It's a pitch that you laugh at or anything like that. It's it's, it has it, it's had it's, it kind of has waxes and wanes. But last night we got to see a, a pretty decent changeup. The slider to me, you know, we didn't see as much last night of the starts out at your uh, you know your armpits and ends up uh, hitting your foot. We slider. saw we saw one of them and, saw it hit, one. and hit a guy in the foot on the swing and it was a wild pitch that allowed the run in. But besides that, what we're seeing a lot more of yesterday was kind of a tighter. A little bit harder slider, um, up to 90. Uh, you know, it was 88 pretty consistently, and, and 87, 88, and touched to 90, at least on multiple guns. Um, 89, 90, what you are. Yeah, about here. yeah, and 
And to me, the thing that stood out about his slider yesterday was, is, and admittedly, I'm not this was not exactly the 27 Yankees lineup they were facing. But this I, wasn't the 27. This wasn't the 1950 62 A's lineup, which this wasn't was the pretty, 62 Mets. Yeah, this was the 2014 Lynchburg Hillcats, and which includes the number three hitter uh, who was the number seven prospect in the White Sox system in 2007. I mean, I'll say this. As I made made the point to a couple guys about good 4A rosters, this is a roster with not a lot of prospects, but a lot of guys like Kevin Aarons and Justin Bloxham who can tell you if you have good stuff because they can hit fastballs. They might not be able to hit much else, but they can hit fastballs. So they, these, these are guys that if you're going to challenge them, they may make you pay. So they're a good tester lineup, I think. So... I do feel like it was we, the best way I put it. You can put it is is that we were very interested to see the last time you saw Carlos Rodon, you saw the disappointing 2014 Carlos Rodon, which he's been dominant at his best and disappointing at his worst with less stuff. The last time you saw him, the, the first time you saw him as a pro here in Winston Salem, ninety three, ninety five, and um, you know the slider was okay and the changeup was okay. It wasn't. I wasn't blown away. It was definitely a prospect, but it wasn't. And it wasn't as bad as he was at his worst in, in college this year. Then no, either. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the brand na- the brand name, Carlos Rodon. But it wasn't the Carlos Rodon who showed up against Canisius and got beat by Canisius. But uh, to me, like the thing, you know, we get hung up on velocity a lot of times. But in this case with Carlos Rodon, I'm hung up on velocity because what I want to see, there, you know, he has to improve his control. He has to improve his command. That that's kind of the, the on the to do list, but. What we have to see with Rodon this year, what I'm interested in seeing is, is his velocity varied pretty dramatically this year um, at, in college. Right. You saw it. Yeah. You know, at his best, the Carlos Rodon, who is, you know, who is always considered a, the potential number one pick in the draft, is the Carlos Rodon who's touching 96-97 with his fastball, bringing in a slider in the high 80s, gives him two plus pitches, from the left side, and then from there it's like okay, you, you can even you don't have to have pinpoint command, you know he, he doesn't have to have a plus changeup. He can be very effective. We've seen at times in college this year, you saw it, where you're talking the eighty-nine to ninety-two mile an hour Carlos Rodon, which if you're if his fastball is eighty-nine ninety-two, it's fair to say his slider is not the eighty-eight. You know, 87, 88, 89 on our slider anymore. That's a much more pedestrian Carlos Rodon. It was encouraging to me that we got to see the full high octane Carlos Rodon. I mean, with the slider, I, I've seen the ones where it looks like he's taking it's the slider's taking a hairpin turn at the last second, mm-hmm. and I think that's the one, if I remember correctly, that he throws at the lower velocities. Mm-hmm. So when he's throwing it in 88, 90, that's something you don't see every day. It's more almost like. That's still an effective pitch to me, but it's more of a cutter type. It's almost like a, it's 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 got a little bit of movement. It's a little late movement, but not as much. Right. I, I prefer it at the mid '80s, the ones that I've seen at the mid '80s, and with the fastball velocity, 93, 95 is fine. But I know I've seen it a million times where he has 96, 97, and I'm sure people have seen other bigger bigger numbers in reserve. And if you can sit at 93, 95, 96 the whole game, but know you have that extra two ticks in the tank. That's what I want. I mean, I'm fine with it, that too, but we also it. saw 89. We've seen where he's yeah, 89, yeah, 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 90, yeah. 91, 
And even if he has another tick in the tank and he can get it up to 93, 94, that's not what you're hoping to see from him. The, the, most, impre- like I said, the most impressive game was the Georgia Tech game. And in particular, what was impressive was when he got into trouble, he, at, the, at the end of the game when he was arguably running on fumes, he was able to sit back and reach into, the, reach into his tank and pull out three consecutive 96s to blow a guy away. And that sold me that day. That was, that was your, your signature moment for the year in a disappointing year for NC State. But that was, this is a guy who wants the ball. This is the very cliche bulldog, we got to pick another dog, mm-hmm. uh, mentality. This is a kind of Pit guy. bulls have is, a bad reputation. This is a pit bull mentality on the mound, maybe a really angry child. The Rottweiler. Yeah, Rottweiler on the mound. Um, Bulldogs are really kind of a placid kind of no, dog. They're, yeah, they don't really, drooling and you know. that, that is a misnomer. Um, but point being, that's that's the thing you want at the top of your rotation starter, that killer instinct, and I think he's got it in spades. Um, the other thing that stood out to me yesterday, we saw again, we saw two games. In the Lin- in the Winston Salem Lynchburg game, we saw I believe it was five pitchers. We left at the seventh. We had a long day and we had an hour and a half drive back to back to Durham. But we'd seen five pitchers in that game, I believe it was. Every single one of those pitchers, and we had a non-drafted free agent in that game, we had an indie ball signing in that game. Every single one of them touched, at least touched, 93 miles an hour. Yep. Rewind to the first game we saw. You can tell me more because I was mostly open side most days. Right. Starting pitcher for Greensboro, touched 93 pretty regularly. Uh, we had multiple relievers. The starter for Lakewood was 89-91. Multiple pitchers for Lakewood after that. Multiple pitchers for Greensboro who touched 93. What just overwhelms me pretty much every time I go to the ballpark and see a pro game now is the velocity in the game now compared to, I, I mean, I know I'm semi-old at this point. I'm, you know, I've been watching minor league baseball for... 20-something years, you know, about 20 years. Since of, I was a toddler. Yes, of 20 years. I My first year of significant minor league baseball watching was covering Macon Braves in 1995, so that's 19 years ago. Back then, anyone I saw in a game, I mean, radar guns were a little less pervasive, but, uh, but anyone I saw who, if you saw a right-hander out of the pen who touched 93, you would go, whoa, I got to pay more attention to this. Nowadays, if you see a right-hander who's 89-90, it's, it's like, wow. It's like you're watching, you know, like, oh, look at this. You know, we, we, the guy with the, you know, how does he manage to get hitters out with this? You talk about college this year. There was, there was one guy on, I want to say, Wake Forest, maybe one of those teams with that color scheme. Who's a big hulking six five two something? And he comes in. You think, oh, this is going to be 95, 96, 97. He was. I don't think he cracked ninety once. And when he got to eighty nine, you could hear him grunt like a tennis player. And I was like, wait a minute, this is really weird. But to your point, I mean, it's been the last week. I've seen four guys throw ninety five, ninety six plus. It's it's not even like we a, saw two. We saw two yesterday. Yeah, we saw Benito Pruneda yesterday with Lynchburg. Carlos Rodon, obviously. I saw Kyle Crick. The Actually, other we saw three because uh, De La Rosa, the former oh, yeah. pitcher for the Greensboro yesterday. That was three es- ni- es- Merlin De La Rosa, I yeah, believe I is his name. That was 395 plus. And then I saw Kyle Crick in the 95, th- three straight 96s to end his game because he was very upset at himself. And Hunter Strickland, 97 to 99. 
the, the point I'm trying to make is, is the amount of velocity in the game now, and I know that people will go off in many different tangents on this. This is why guys are getting hurt. This is, but I, what just, I'm not even analyzing it right now. I'm just saying, like, it really does blow me away. I've talked to scouts who say, you know, 10, 15 years ago, every team had a, every minor league team had a couple of right handers coming out of the pen 87, 88 miles an hour. You do not see that anymore. If you do, it's like, wow, this team is just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Again, we saw a left-hander yesterday for Lynchburg, who was a non-drafted free agent this year, who was touching 93 regularly over a stretch of he went multiple innings. It wasn't he was humping up for an inning with a big breaking curveball. And you, at this point, you just kind of look at that as that's kind of normal. I mean, that's just kind of what you the average what you expect to see on a normal given night. And that just... Really, I can't get over how much that amazes me because it is such a dramatic change in the game we see. If you wonder why people can talk about we get too focused on radar guns and velocity and all that, but if you wonder why the balance of power has switched back to the pitcher and we're now seeing a game, an entirely different game than we saw 10, 15 years ago, now a game where uh, a 2-1 game is not that shocking to see. And you see team, you know, teams putting up team ERAs of around three. I, I cannot help but think that that's a big reason why. Because part of the reason is, is you get the seventh inning, and there are a lot of teams at the big league level who can say, okay, here comes 95-plus from the next four guys we throw out there. And here's the thing about that, too. It's not just these big old workhorses, these Tyler Colex. No. I'll give you three examples. Dellen Batansis. This is all Yankee system. Dellen Batansis, 6'8 to 60. He brings it up to 100 miles an hour. Okay. And then there was his teammate, Manny Banuelos, in whatever year they were both together on the Thunder before, the Trenton Thunder, the AA Yankees, mm-hmm. before both of them broke. Um, he was He's a left-hander, not six foot, a uh, little, little thickish left-hander. He I've seen him bring it to 97. And this year, Luis Severino, six foot one ninety five, he can bring it up to ninety nine. So it's all shapes. Since and Craig Kimbrell, let's bring another guy into the mix. They can all bring high octane. So it's not just these big, you know, country plow horses anymore. No, Every, everybody's bringing up, letting up radar guns. It, it is just amazing. I digress from that though, because when we're just talking about random things we've seen. Want to bring up one of our, I think a favorite of both of ours. We've both seen them multiple times this year. Uh, Lakewood, I guess we call him catcher, first base, left field, DH. He's designated Williams. He's, he's, he's played a little second base, I think, way back in the day. Um, I mean, it goes Williams, to the same Williams Astadio. It goes to the same point. Anybody can play this game. You've got, it, it's not a certain body type. You don't have to look like Mark Pryor. You don't have to look like Prince Fielder. You could look like... Williams Estadio. California Raisin is what (laughs) Williams Estadio looks like. But the the thing that stands out, the reason I just wanted to bring him up, if you're a Phillies fan, you have not had a whole lot to be excited about this year. And I can't even tell you that you have a whole lot to be excited about with Williams Estadio because, as we just mentioned, there's a reason he plays catcher, first base, left field, DH, which is he is very at home when he's in the batter's box. It's much more questionable when you say, where is this guy? Where would this guy play in the big leagues? I don't have a good answer for you on that. I will say 
When you talk about pure bat-to-ball skills, though, I have not seen a better guy in the minor leagues this year. No, that, that was that was almost preternatural yesterday. That was uh, we talk about needing a defensive position. You find a home for a guy like this. I, I see. I, I will say the same as I have. We have the Rob Snyder conversations. I hope he does. I do not think because he is a short. Realistically, he's probably a short first baseman. And for one, teams don't like short first basemen. They like tall guys who can. But the bigger problem is, is if he had power, it'd be, it'd be okay, we'll yeah. live with it. He's a, he is a, a contact hitter and with amazing contact skills, but a contact hitter who really is going to hit, never strike out, doesn't walk a whole lot either, hit for high average, and not hit, you know, he'll hit some doubles, but it's not over the fence power. And that's kind of a, it just doesn't fit a profile. But again, we, we saw it yesterday. We've seen it before. It is, it is almost impossible to sneak a fastball, a breaking ball, a changeup. He can manipulate the bat in a any hamburger. Way. I mean, it, you know, nothing's getting by him. I, I, you know, in any way, you you can put it six to eight inches outside. You can put it on his knees. You can put it at his neck. The, He's gonna get a bat on it and foul it he, away. He there were several pitches yesterday that you probably would say he would be better off just taking it and working. You know, getting into it. That was a ball. When he gets down in the count, he's got you know a, a very short stroke. When he gets behind in the count. He is going to foul off almost everything until he wears you down to the point. He, we saw you're right. We saw him yesterday foul off pitches that almost hit him. We saw him on nasty, you know, breaking balls on the out off the outer half. He would, you know, reach out and get it, and he would just be like opposite field, little foul ball. Okay, let's do this again. And we saw yesterday. We saw four for four with a walk. He realistically probably did score the winning run of the game, although it was called an out, you know, and, you know, all that. But it was just, it's, this is what I love about minor league baseball in a ways, in that he does not, he, he's fun to watch. You know, again, we get, we're Baseball America. We obviously, obviously we get caught up in, you know, and I know a lot of people also do, what's this guy going to be in the big leagues? All that. And I don't know the answer to that. He's in low A. There's defensive position questions, all that. I know this. I enjoy watching that guy hit right now. And I'll enjoy watching it, you know, as he climbs the ladder because he is very fun to watch. Yeah, he really is. And I'll, I'll, I'll end it with, you can't spell Astudio without stud. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But uh, so we also, we did just have our best tools issue. Um you know, you've probably seen it at this point. We apologize again. We've been a couple of weeks. We probably should have talked about this on the podcast a week or two ago, but we've been busy. Um, but so I, I did want to start with, we'll, we'll start with you and, and tell everyone the league you did and kind of, I guess, one tool. Was there a tool that jumped out that was either, that jumped out because it was unanimous, you didn't expect it to be, or it was surprising to you? Hey, you know, I'll explain first how we do this. We pull managers and you know and talk to scouts around leagues. You know, hey, who's the best of all these different tools you've seen? And, and then we put it together and, and we present it. So right. I did the Eastern League uh, because again I came from six years covering the Trenton Thunder in the Eastern League and saying I've been to every Eastern League stadium except Portland and Erie, 
got into three of them this year. Um, but we did uh, that. I did that league, and what jumped at me was def- best defensive catcher. Going into the year, you would think that honor would go to Blake Swihart of Portland because he's the guy who came with the brand name, the athleticism, the he's thrown out 50% of runners and all that good stuff, and he finished second. I think we got nine votes from managers and coaches, and he took three of them. The other six went to Elias Diaz of Altoona, who I heard long before this brought up, by I think in a chat once, and then by a scout again later, um, as a guy to watch. And you hear some some managers said really good things about him. One scout said, I think he's a 10-year big leaguer because he's going to hit a little bit, and he's got really good game calling skills. defensive chops are going to... He's got really good game calling skills, pitcher handling skills. He knows what he's doing back there. He can block, he can receive, he can frame, he can throw. It's pretty much what you want back there. And uh, Swihart got the other three votes, but mostly that was the Michael Taylor show. I think he took five categories. I'm look- I could look at the magazine here, but I don't want to turn slightly to my right. <laughs> um, Michael Taylor took a lot of categories, including best best batting prospect, uh, yeah, best batting, most pro- exciting, best fastest base runner, uh, most exciting, best defensive outfielder. So I think it's four categories actually. He got a lot of votes for best throwing arm, but that went to Altuna's Willie Garcia, who a lot of guys said he had a true eight. One guy said he threw a guy out at home from the warning track on a line, which <laughs> don't see that. That's t- impressive. You don't see that too often. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the usual suspects in other places. Mookie Betts got best defensive second baseman. Henry Owens took uh, best pitcher, best curveball, best changeup, and. Kyle Crick, who I mentioned earlier, got best fastball, which is weird because he doesn't have the best fastball on his own team. Again, Hunter Strickland, 97-99 with movement. So I did the Sally League, and with the Sally League, um, one that did stand out to me, it was an enjoyable best fastball competition because you have Lucas Giolito in that league, who's really good, and you got some votes for Hunter Harvey. But then you have, if you said about the the one of the, the little secret, hidden secrets of this year as far as there are two guys I think who I've heard more from scouts about and managers about as far as pure velocity this year in the minors than anyone else. Who are you talking about? Uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to start with so the guy who won in the Sally League, Ray Black. Ray Black, we've heard 100 pretty consistently reports. I've heard the best I've heard this year from him is 103, which that's seems. A, that's a temperature, not a fastball. Yeah, that, that's, that, is, that is bringing it. And um, but so you hear that you're really kind of okay. Yes, that's that's the winner. Um, and he does it. I mean, it's not like he's just sitting there rearing back and he has no clue where it's going. He's I, I don't know why you know he hasn't been bumped up quicker to be honest because he's a guy who you look at and say yeah he could he, he could Ken Giles it like you put him in Double A and and I, I wouldn't be shocked if he could do the same thing in Double A with the, the stuff he has. Mm-hmm. The other one, uh, who I, I do believe, if we look up here to the Texas League and the Florida State League, which I helped the Florida State League list too, um, he, you know, Sam Tuavala uh, wins two of them. And that's pretty consistent triple digits as well. Yep. Um, another guy on this list, Burgos. I saw him at 99, I think, in the Cal League All-Star game with a 90-mile-an-hour slider, which was a good 90-mile-an-hour slider. Um Francis Montas, who's now yeah. hurt, but we saw 98 from him, I think. I've heard 101 from him. Yeah, we've heard 101. I think we saw, personally, I think we saw 98. Right. 
Um, Alex Meyer, I saw 98. I, I, you know, Robert Stevenson, we saw 98, 99, the Futures game from him. Let's just see, how many of these guys have we seen personally this year? One, two, <laughs> This is three, exciting podcast listening, but four. we'll call them out while we're doing it. You've seen, okay, Alex Meyer. Alex Meyer, Kyle, Kyle Crick, Crick, Robert, Robert Stevenson, Stevenson, Enrique Burgos, Francelis Montes. Nick Bird, Nick Birdie, we saw him at uh, Elizabethton against uh, Burlington. No, we didn't. Yeah, so, we did. No, we didn't. We saw Jake Reed. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. We did. It was Jake Reed. It was the other 99. Yeah, yeah he, he got skipped to Midwest. Uh, and Ray Black, we haven't seen because Augusta doesn't come here for some reason. But that's like five of them. So. Yeah, that's been fun. Um, but uh, and I, I do also, I, again, I, I put, helped put together the Florida State League list also. And the thing I did enjoy, Byron Buxton is having a nightmarish year. You know, we're recording this the afternoon after he had a very frightening collision in his first game in AA. He's played very little. He had a wrist injury that then was re-injured, and so he missed almost all the season. He didn't get a best batting prospect or a best hitting prospect vote or anything in the Florida State League. He still did get most exciting player votes, even though like, he's played no almost no games. And he's not going to make a top 20 in any league unless he comes back very quickly from this, which... Hard to believe. You I, I doubt it. We'll miss. Won't miss some time. Yeah, he needs 140 at bats in any 140-ish at bats in any given league. He won't get it. He won't. He's gonna. That I mean, would, at this point, you're talking. We are. It is sad to say, but we are really in the tail end of the minor league season at this got, point. I mean, most most teams have two home series left. Most teams are basically. We are in the middle of August now. They're selling playoff tickets. Yeah, we're in the middle of August, and we'll be done by basically September 3rd in most cases. And September 1st in many. And that's okay, because then we have to we have, we have a few few weeks to, to recharge, and then the Arizona Fall League is here. Instructs and all Instructs that. But, is here. but no, I do. I mean, there's a part of me that's like when the season ends, it's, it's always a little sad. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it, it has been. It was fun to do best tools. We're now moving on to starting working on the uh, the top twenty prospects list and for the leagues and all that, which is is also very fun. But before we do wrap up this, I do remember that we had, uh, I believe, at least a, a question or two on the the Twitter. Yeah, um, I only got the one, which is weird because I, I asked for questions. I got two people who followed me and one guy who asked a question. Um, let me find it. Even though I don't even know why I find it, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, the Bronx Empire from Conway, Arkansas, asked me, "Is Bryce Harper a buy low trade candidate? And if so, could do the Yankees have the pieces to get him?" JJ, no, no. I'd agree there, but to to make Maybe. this more fun, uh, you, 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 you'll expand a little bit on my uh, two word answer. No, I won't. But to make it more fun, let's say, for example, the the, the Nationals grew tired of him and something. And they did Which make they're him, not going to do. Right, but this, this they'd is... They'd be insane to, but... They'd be insane for a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but let's say they did make him available. Uh, not just, obviously, to the Yankees. But what would you send to the Diamondbacks? Or the Diamondbacks? The Nationals. I was thinking Matt Williams and Diamondbacks. Uh, what would you send to the Nationals? What would you offer the Nationals for Bryce Harper at this point? And see, here's the thing. This is where I think it gets very difficult for these trades, is that, again, as we talked about at the trade deadline, not many teams out there who are, have the, if you said prospects-wise, elite prospects, the majority of those guys, they're teams that are pretty bad right now. Right. Let me, you think the Cubs could do it? Oh, they could. 
I have no doubt the Cubs could. I mean, that's where I think it would be unwise for them too, though. Weird. Would it? If I think it would cost you so much that, I mean, I think that again we're we're dealing in a hypothetical world. To me, there's only two possibilities for this that would actually happen. One is is that Bryce Harper ends up causing you know falls apart and has so many injuries and all that the Nationals do get tired of him. At which point you have to ask the question, okay, how much, you know, how likely is he going to come back? Or the other possibility is that they're going to ask for so much in return. Everyone's tradable. Right. Uh, Bryce Harper, if you're dealing him to the Cubs and you're, let's say, let's start with Baez and Bryant, two of those Bs. I'd rather have Baez and Bryant. You know, it's, it's funny you say, I mean, that's 12 years, that's 13 years of cost controlled. They're not making, Harper is basically going to be an arbitration now. You'd be giving up 13 years of those guys. I don't want to overvalue prospects. I know that's a danger that we always have. And Harper's younger than he is younger. One or both of them. He is younger, but you are now. You are looking at. You have. I don't have B ref in front of me, but I'm guessing you have at most four years of team control left. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I I think he is a better. Like if you gave if you. Ask me who's likely to have the best the the best next four seasons of that group. I think you still have to go to the guy who's already produced like he has when healthy at the big league level at a younger age than, as you noted, Baez or Bryant. I think you have to go with that, but I don't think it's enough to where I'm comfortable saying it's going to outproduce again, especially the the financial difference. Because him in arbitration is going to be probably a ten-plus million-dollar player, mm-hmm. and he'll be doing that at a time where you can pay Baez and Bryant together about one million dollars or a little over a million, and that that's that's a pretty big difference because again they don't have to match him in production; they just have to come close to make, and then you tack on a nine million-dollar difference. Yeah, again, the fascinating one that would be more, would be more like a Nationals Cubs trade, be more like. Can they get Steven Strasburg or something like that? Because, you know, that's where they're, I mean, I, I think that when it comes to position players, I think the Cubs go, no, we're, we can we can try this approach of having a, an answer at every position except for maybe catcher. Wellington Castillo and his confounding only one L in his name tell you to hush. King. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I'm not ready to go. Kyle Schwarber, catch, big league catcher yet. Well, you know what they do? They trade for Williams Ostadio. Yeah, I was gonna say that. <laughs> Actually, if you had a better arm and more power, you know, like uh, if you had a, a Hector magic... Villanueva is, uh, you know, is a like a, a bat first catcher, you know, who I think Ostadio might be better defensively than 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 old Villanueva was. So maybe. Um, sorry, that was a catcher from before your time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bad body catcher with great power, and and when I do say bad body, I really mean it. he was a bad body catcher. Made uh, made Williams look like Arnold. Yes, uh, kind of. Yes. I mean, well, again, you know, I, I, my description. I don't think you liked it that much. Was is if you're trying to get a visual on Estadio, is think of like a, a a younger. I made a note of saying it was a younger, shorter Billy Butler body type. 
And I know you didn't. You weren't a big fan of that. No, I think he, I think Williams is in a little better shape than we're giving him credit for. No, no, but what I'm saying is, is Billy. I'm not saying Billy Butler now. I'm saying I, you know, maybe I, I, I was doing stuff here, you know. So I remember Billy. I, I remember Billy Butler third baseman. Like, there was a time when they were trying to figure out where he was going to play. I remember from yesterday. Pablo Sandoval, third baseman. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, crazy enough. But, uh, it's still happening. Yeah. You know, it's like Juan Uribe, third baseman. Well, but, well, That's Uribe, a bad But Juan Uribe was a shortstop. But he's still a bad body. He is a bad body, third baseman. But, uh, and a darn good one. You know. Um, but, uh, but so, yeah, I, I just, no. Um, I, I don't see that. And if they would... I just don't see it. that's that's like we saw the things this week about for some reason it started Phillies fans started talking about the possibility of Mike Trout when he hits free agency coming to Philly and it's like that's yes. so far away that he grew up in New Jersey near Philly. Great. He's if he if he does hit free agency, you know where he's going. Team that offers him the most money. Well, but the other thing about that is is that that is so far away because we are talking about Mike Trout, who just signed a contract extension. So that is so far away to Phillies fans. I mean, I know it's rough right now. It's don't be planning around right now. Don't be planning around that because I mean that's so far down the road. You don't know what situation is going to be at that point. You know, you could have Ruben Amaro the third could be the GM. Uh, by I was going to say that's yeah, that's a good way to put it. But. uh so this has been uh, the JJ and the Bear podcast. Uh, I'm JJ. He's Josh Bear Norris. We will be back. We promise we'll try to be back more quickly than we were this time. I won't hibernate as often. I'm sorry. You know, but uh, but we'll have a, a lot more to talk about. You know, we've got some uh, some team league calls and all to make, so it'll be fun. So thanks for the download. We now two podcasts in two days. We're trying to make up for our little absence there. So thanks for the download, everyone.